0: Hey everyone, today's guest is Russ Rankin, lead vocalist for the Santa Cruz, California punk rock band, Good Riddance. Russ and I take a deep dive into the fan favorite song, Darkest Days, taken from their 2006 album, My Republic. I recall hearing this track for the first time and being blown away. It still sounded like Good Riddance, but I felt like the band completely upped their game. In particular, Russ, whose vocals really shine on this track. The band had taken a couple of years off in between recording this album and the previous one, and I asked Russ if this in any way influenced the record. He said it wasn't so much the time away as it was discovering GarageBand, which was a complete game changer for being able to lay down tracks, move them around, and edit and layer vocals that really raised his singing ability, while also offering his band fully realized demos before going to track them later in the studio. Russ also credits producer Bill Stevenson with pushing and stretching him vocally, which is evident on this track. So for all this and a lesson from Bill omitting profanity from the lyrics, don't you dare go anywhere. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, Russ, how are you?
2: Doing well, Chris. Thanks, man.
0: Yeah, buddy. it's It's been a long time, and I got to tell you, I don't know if you have as fond of memories of my band as I do of yours, but I absolutely loved touring with you guys. Anytime we ever, ever hooked up, and we had some... some Awesome, amazing tours back in the late '90s, which is so so hard to believe now. That tour that we did, we did with Seems all. Seems like yesterday. It really does. It <laughs> really does. Seems like yesterday and a lifetime ago. But you know, I, I said the same thing to to Anti Flag. I, I told Number Two not too long ago that. I had the same reaction to you guys. You guys just looked pissed off in all your promo pictures and everything. I'm like, oh, man, these guys are going to hate us. Same thing with the Anti-Flag. These these are Pittsburgh punks are going to beat us up and you couldn't have been nicer guys. You know, you guys were just such a such a ball to tour
2: with. Very happy to hear that.
0: <laughs> you just never know and, and you, you certainly can't judge a book by its cover, but, you know, you guys, your debut, Forgotten Country, was released on Fat Records in 1995, and the song we're going to talk about today, Darkest Days, is from your seventh album, My Republic, that was released on June 27th, 2006. And in between this record and the previous one, you had formed Only Crime with uh, Zach and and Donnie Blair, uh, Bill Stevenson, uh, and Alex from Converge. And I just want to ask, how do you feel, if anything, that experience and and that whole time with Only Crime, how that influenced this record?
2: Musically, they're pretty disparate, uh, the, the two bands. Kind of, kind of on purpose. Like, only crime was on a completely different mission. All of us in only crime had been another band, so we kind of were taking our collective, like, "Hey, I did this before, and I don't want to repeat that." Or, like, "I learned this in my other band, and I think we should adopt it." We all had those, those kind of things. So it was really cool to have a clear mission statement musically and a clear, like, ideology of what our lyrics were going to be about or not about. Because my band happened so organically so many years ago that we just sort of stumbled into what it was. And then one day we looked around and we're like, okay, we have a band and we have albums out, but what what the hell are we doing? Like this just this just started out as making, you know, jamming with my friends. Whereas Only Crime was very much more, I guess, thought through from the beginning. But as as far as songwriting, it was a little bit different for me because Good Riddance has really is really topical. Like songs are definitely about a thing and that's kind of by design and then only crime I wanted to veer away from that and have used use the vocals as basically like a, a fifth instrument melodically and using words choosing words more for their rhythmic value than what it what the song was actually about and because I didn't write any of the music really except for like one or two songs in only crime because the music was like way over my pay grade in that in that <laughs> band so like I'm in the room with like a, my notebook and pen, just like holding on by the by the skin of my teeth, while these guys are like throwing down this like heavy, you know, off kilter jazz weird stuff. And so for me, it was it was mainly like I don't want to write political songs, or at least nothing that's overtly political. And I want to really use vocals as a fifth instrument, and I want to pick words that sound cool rhythmically against what these guys are playing more than like a word that actually means a specific thing.
0: Well, you may be thinking that I kind of came at you sideways with this question. What does this have to do with this song? It's just that time period that elapsed there. I'll tell you, when I heard Darkest Days, when I heard that song, when it came out, I was like, wow. Like you guys, to me, and I know you had worked with Bill prior to that and, and, and Bill produced this record, but it was like, I don't know. It was just a notch up, I felt, for, for you. It was it was, it was was way poppier than what I'm used to with Good Riddance. And I got to be Completely level with you, you were always just like kind of like a hardcore punk singer. I'm like, wow, you really came to the table with your vocals on this record.
2: Thanks. You you probably also thought like, man, I've never heard a band try to be the Adolescents that bad. (laughs) I I didn't really think that. No, I I didn't. It still it still sounded like Good Riddance to me. Some people I know they they were just born to be singers. You know, like Cinder from Tilt. Like she rolls out of the rack, sings a perfect pitch, no warm up, no nothing, like no problem that wasn't my that's not my story. Like, I'm a blue collar, like, guy that didn't know how to play an instrument when the band started. So I get to be singer by default. And, you know, with Bill, like I was beaten into a serviceable singer over, (laughs) over decades, decades of humiliating studio time. In retrospect, it's just learning a lot. And learning how to make up for the fact that I wasn't born to be a singer, like I was just not that I wasn't born with that, and so any abilities I've had to to sing qualitatively have come through through work and kind of rolling up my sleeves and and getting to it. And so I think that 2001 we had a record out. Good Riddance did called Symptoms of Leveling Spirit, which was for me was my first time where I'm in a studio and I don't hate my own voice anymore. I'm like down to like, hey, I want to try this. I want to try that. I'm like confident that had never happened before. it Was always like, okay, just get this done tell me when I've sang enough times, like I fucking hate this. And so that, that record 2001 was the first time I was like, I felt like a singer. I felt like I'm cool with hearing my own voice. I don't care if it sounds bad. Let's try this. Let's try that harmonies, different melodies. And, and that was a big step for me.
0: Well, it's huge because you were no longer apprehensive with the process. I remember when that happened to me and it was just like, it was like, whoa, it was, it was so, uh, (laughs) it was was such a great experience to finally, finally be free, liberated. You
2: feel feel like you have more agency over the finished product. Yeah. You're like this, like you're like this, this can now sound the way it kind of sounded in my head and I can make it. So, Mm -hmm. whereas before I'm like, I don't know, dude, because, because my very first time singing ever. Ryan Green was engineering us. I went in to sing my first vocal on Forgotten Country. And he goes, you're flat all the way through there. And I had no idea what that meant or how to fix it. And I was like, <laughs> fuck it. I'm in so much trouble. Do you ever find it hard
0: to go backwards? Meaning, you know, and, and sometimes we just do it as musicians. We say, I want to write a song like I would have written in 1993. Do you find it hard to work backwards and just have that, just, you know, that voice that just comes out. You're not really thinking about pitch and timing uh, now that you've learned how to sing.
2: I think it's easier for me because I came from that, I guess. Like it's, it's more so now that I don't want the, if you're listening to an album through, I want to sing pop songs and more polished sounding songs. Chuck is always going to be like, no, dude, we got to go for like raw power only. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, so like somewhere we meet in the middle and I just don't want there to be a sonic ebb and flow when you're listening to it. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. A song like Darkest Days has like tons of backing vocals and different guitar melodies, but there may be like, the next song is like a two minute like VFW scorcher. I don't want it to be like, oh, that song sounds lame compared to that last one. Right. I want there to be some kind of like even if it it can sound like the same man playing the same instruments all the way through, then that's more what I'm worried about. I'm not worried about delivering the vocal that way. I just don't want it. I just don't want it to sonically have a big drop off or a big like ramp up
0: right well a couple of things I've, I've always loved luke's playing chuck as well and of course you know sean sellers is is one of in my opinion one of the best punk rock drummers and sean came back for this record and do you feel how do you feel that that uh was it just like riding a bike he's he, he's back and everything's uh, the same or, or was it a process getting him back in the band
2: it was definitely not a process it was comfortable and sean is great in like for for me as a as a guy that writes most of the songs for the band like, Sean is great because he he's, like, amenable to almost everything. And I was like, I'm like, hey, try this, and he'll try it. I'm like, hey, try that, he'll try it. And he's in the studio, he'll go for, like, hours, like a mule. You can just beat him. And he never he never complains. His playing is always precise. He prepares. He's practiced. He knows all the songs. Like, he's... It's really easy.
0: Do you know how odd that is, Russ?
2: <laughs> Do you know how well, lucky uh, yeah, you are? No, I, playing with different drummers, I yeah, like, we have... <laughs> Because the guy we had on the t- two albums before before Sean, even though in, in a lot of the different ways, he was more in line with us, like lifestyle-wise, like and his playing, he, he he played Good Riddance songs the right way, but he was a completely different animal than Sean was to work within the writing process and in the studio. And so it was sort of the, the advantage to having Sean back was we knew, like, okay, he's going to knock out his drums quick. He's going to keep playing it exactly the same until he gets it right. He's not going to complain. He's not going to throw sticks at the wall. He's not going to like have a tantrum. Like he just does his work. He's prepared. Like he he does his homework. Like he shows up. He knows how the songs go, and he's willing to try anything that we suggest. And I I can't really think of anything more you'd want to ask for a drummer than that.
0: Oh, it's just it's so liberating to have a drummer with that mindset. And I've worked with a few, but. But for the most part, uh, a lot of these guys, as you know, they're just very guarded and and they, they reach their breaking point. It sounds like you stumbled <laughs> across somebody that's like you said, you can you can work them like a dog. The band in total, you guys have released nine albums. Uh, your most recent one is Thoughts and Prayers in 2019. You're still out there doing it. And that is awesome. So I got to ask, do you remember writing Darkest Days? And was it specifically for the My Republic record?
2: yes so th- what was cool about the my republic record for me as a songwriter was i was very new to to technology i was like a late comer and like i didn't get my first laptop till 2003 and then but all the guys in only crime had had i had i got this like sony bio and it was was horrible and all the guys in only crime had Macs. this was before iphones before ipads like you, you brought your computer on tour yeah and all the guys in Only Crime had Macs. So we'd like on tour and we'd be go to a Starbucks. Everybody gets their laptops up and then I'm checking my MySpace on my, on my guitar player's Mac. And I was like, <laughs> dude, this computer is so cool. And they were just telling me all about it. And I just became infatuated with Apple stuff then. And I got it. I saw, so I got my first Mac in Oh four. And then learning how to use GarageBand was like game changer for me. Yeah. Because me too. As, <laughs> as a guy that's writing, as a guy that writes most of the stuff, like, I was like, I can't believe I can just like plug my guitar and a bass into this computer and and a mic and I can have, I can send these guys like demos of almost completed songs with like backing vocals, harmonies, guitar leads, everything. It made it so much easier for me. And Bill still says, he's like, dude, your garage band demos are almost better than the finished record, <laughs> which I don't think is true, but, but it was a big step up for us as far as the demoing process. And being able to send that stuff to Bill, send it to Mike, like, here's these songs. And as as we were sort of like building the album.
0: Oh, man, I could always hear drums in my head, but I could never program those old drum machines. I would tear my hair out. I could never fully get my idea across to the band of where the accent needed to be. And with like you said, with GarageBand, complete game changer.
2: Yeah, so that was My Republic was a direct result of me, me learning how to use GarageBand and, and writing. So those songs were like the, re- the rehearsing for that album went way quicker because these guys all had this stuff ahead of time yeah and it was helpful too because they could they could be right back and be like we don't like this song so then, then i stopped wasting time on it or like let's have let's do a different lead here like it was just we all came into the you know writing process rehearsing process i guess with way more information and it was so so like the little tightening up here or there the changes were all came much quicker because guys had been living with these songs for a while as complete Pieces. Well, I know
0: that you did a couple records with Ryan Green, uh, the last one being Ballads from the Revolution in 1998. And that was recorded at Motor Studios, where he, where he did a lot of his productions out of. I noticed that for this record, My Republic, you went back to Motor, but you used Bill and, and Jason for the record. Uh, was that just maybe uh, you recorded it in the winter and, and, and the weather is better in California and didn't want to go to Fort Collins or <laughs> what was the what was the reason there?
2: with yeah we did our first three albums with Ryan it was, the place was actually called Razor's Edge uh in San Francisco and then we went to the blasting room in 99 in 2000 for our EP 2001 and 2003 for for Bound by Ties of Blood and Affection and then Luke had decided to go back to school like in the early 2000s which sort of like changed our whole paradigm of touring and getting after it like it suddenly we became more of a part-time band and so everybody's got jobs other than the the band at least Luke and Chuck and I did and so when it came time to do my Republic people like dude I can't go to Colorado like I can I could go to San Francisco after work and and do stuff and then get back home so it was it was cheaper and easier for Bill to come to us and then Jay and so Bill Bill came to us and he had an assistant engineer who did a lot of like in the off hours to do editing there Editing vocals, editing drums, and then we'd send stuff back to Fort Collins, where where Jason starts the mixing.
0: Okay, okay, so he was doing the mix there. Bill, Bill was just with you with the assistant. I got gotcha. you. Yep. yep. Cool. Well, I want to jump into the song now, Russ. It's 2 minutes and 41 seconds. There's a 16-bar intro. It starts with some feedback. Um, There's a kick uh, and a hi-hat doing this shuffle thing that's going between open and closed hi-hat and sporadic snare hits. The guitar panned off left is moving octaves. The guitar off right is just these octave ring-outs that kind of turn into feedback when they get done swelling. Uh, The bass tone here is killer, and uh, the bass is playing single. single notes uh, bars one through eight and then eighth notes for bars nine through 16th doing some neat notes uh, upon the higher frets there down toxins from the atmosphere making all of my decisions based on fear i never gave a fuck about what i could be declared a private war on authority i got what you need cuz i'm a bad seed running on adrenaline and living on greed i'm tired of being i'm sick of my scene looking for the end or a place i can finally come clean
2: that song for me the music and the, the vocal melody came first and so then it's like okay i got now i got to write some words And that's just what that's just sort of what came up, you know, like, I'm a, I'm a dude that's in recovery, I have done a lot of like, really dumb things in my life, and and hopefully, like, kind of learned from them. And I think that's more or less what that stuff's about. Like, this is where I came from. And like, this is where I'm sort of now, now at trying to like, change my deal.
0: When you're writing for a particular record or a song do you typically have a notebook of lyrics like this song and ideas jotted down or you, do you do the music and then get inspired or is a little bit of both
2: yeah i don't i mean we all kind of have our thing i don't know what you do chris but like i i typically once in a while i'll be like driving or doing some random thing or be out in the water and like a a line of lyric comes into my head and i'm like oh that's fucking killer like i can't i can't forget that and then i'll write it down sometimes I'll write almost a whole verse with nothing else, just words. But typically that's not how it goes for me. Typically it's like, I got a hockey game on, I got my acoustic and I'm just banging on it. while absolutely. While I'm watching the game and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, oh, okay. like, that sounds cool. And then this sounds cool after it. And then I start singing like just gibberish melodies over it. And then if I have that, then I'm like, okay, is that a verse or a chorus? Then I start writing. Excuse
0: my ignorance on this, but I really, I mean, I figured you maybe knew a couple chords, but it sounds like you can really get around on the guitar and, and the bass enough to do demos. Has it ever been frustrating for you just getting out there and singing? Do you ever want to play guitar?
2: I mean, I have two solo albums out and I do i do play shows by myself, but, but, not, but I, that only started like in 2010 or 2011. So no, I very early in my time singing in a band, I didn't know how to play any instruments and I taught myself how to play electric guitar. Because I was sick of trying to write lyrics over dude I was playing with terrible chord arrangements. <laughs> yeah. I'm like so I taught myself how to do it. And then and parts sometimes like we play shows, like I envy guys like you because like you're like on the off chance that this show is gonna be a flopper, like I can just do this and and crack jokes and like it's gonna be fine. Yeah. But when you don't have a guitar and you're just out there like naked, <laughs> just suffering, like it's it it can be it can be rough. But no, for a long time I've written most of the songs. And then every album, there's a few songs that Luke writes music for, and I write lyrics over. So I can get around on the guitar. I'm not as good as Luke at all. So usually it's like I I scratch out like the the bare bones of how I want it to go. And then I'm like, here you go. And then Luke just plays it a thousand times more killer.
0: Yeah, and, and the reason I asked, I guess, you know, I always assumed growing up, if the singer just sang, that's that's all he did. He or she. <laughs> you know, they didn't play guitar, they didn't do anything else and couldn't couldn't be further from the truth, but I also noticed something here that's interesting. Typically if you're going to do an edit for a video, you're going to just bleep the word out. A lot of times, then all people hear is the bleep. They don't hear the message. And I noticed on the record, it's I never gave a fuck about what I could be. But the clean version of the video was I never even cared about what I could be. Did you do that for the reason I laid out? Because you really wanted the message to be heard versus the bleep?
2: Bill is always on me about using profanity in my lyrics. There was a feeling early on, I guess, that this was going to be the single. For good riddance, there's no such thing, really. But like, this was going to be like the song that maybe got pushed a little bit and so it was important to have an option for radio and that was the, that was the main reason for that like anytime i have like fuck or anything in my lyrics bill just always goes like come on dude really a grown man couldn't come up with a better line than that you know what i mean um i, I usually keep them because i think it's important and, and it's punk rock and this is how i grew up but I'll i'll often try to meet him halfway but this was more more so i think If I remember right, I mean, I could be wrong. I think it was more the label was like, hey, let's get a clean version of that so that we can push it.
0: Interesting, okay, okay, so I wanted to to ask about that. Uh, Verse one, the drums, bass, and stereo guitars are playing eighth notes for the first half of verse one, continuing through the second half opening up on some chords there uh, an octave guitar is centered and it's playing single notes for the first half and it gets busier for the second half and i gotta ask here uh russ is this vocal doubled on this song i know bill's a big fan of doubling vocals do you remember if you if you doubled everything
2: on the verses i don't think so that would typically would not typically be rmo okay Chorus it does- is definitely.
0: Yeah, because I can hear it in the choruses. It doesn't sound like verse one. And the reason I asked, there is a line on verse two, and maybe he just doubled that one line. We'll get to it in a bit, but I could definitely hear the double there. I'm like, that's that's really interesting. You
2: know what? Hey, Chris, you're, you're right. So I got what you need because I'm a bad seed. It's probably doubled, but not but not the rest.
0: Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so, and, and sometimes you'll do that. It kind of just kind of perks up the listener's ear, and it just gives that one line yeah. a, a little bit more punch. There's a running theme to this song uh, musically, Russ. And I don't know if if, even if you're aware of this, even being the writer of the song, but there is a two-bar turnaround in a lot of places in this song. After verse one, I'm calling it a two-bar verse turnaround. Uh, Also, I I, I had my notes a chorus set up because really the lyric... Cause I Remember, that's technically the start of Chorus 1, but it's still in the last bar of verse 1. I love it. It's Mm. awesome. It's like this tension that kind of happens before Chorus 1. And uh, on Cause I Remember, we get this uh, pick slide on the guitar panned off to right, and then we're into Chorus (laughs) 1. And that two-bar turnaround happens a number of times. We'll get to it in the song, but do you do you typically write like that where it won't just go from the verse into the chorus? It's like it, it ends on the lyric, I can finally come clean, and then there's two bars of music before you go into the next uh, part, which is the chorus here.
2: I think songwriting 101 says like, if you're really super rad at it, you have a pre-chorus. But, but I hadn't, I'm I was still kind of like, cutting my way through the weeds of learning how to be a songwriter so like now nowadays if it was if i was writing of that i would like be like okay we gotta have a pre-chorus like a, a, a determined for sure pre-chorus not just like i start singing into the chorus while we're still writing that one note at the end of the
0: verse. I'm glad you said that because I kind of feel like just those three words. Cause I remember is yeah. a very short pre-chorus to, yeah. to get into chorus one. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to read these lyrics and have you talk about these. Cause I remember one time something to live for now. So long ago, faces always are changing lies in disguise for the things we know one time something to live for. Somehow I've lost my way those times I pissed away now echo in my darkest days
2: yeah i think it's more of the past is prologue kind of thing like this is kind of reviewing like the the wasted time that i had that i did and like the stupid things i did and those were the darkest days and uh just trying to like turn the whole the whole ship around i mean some songs i write lyrics for and they are like they are for sure about a specific thing and this is not one of those this is more like how much can this sound like the adolescence without them suing me and, and like wanting to just, I know, I know the melody I want. And so then it's just about finding lyrics that don't sound generic or lame, but generally like once I start writing it, it becomes a song about something. And so this one ended up being about like being young and stupid and making all kinds of mistakes and burning bridges and then becoming older and realizing like, no, like you can still be a punk rocker, but you got to do it a little bit differently if you want to make it out of this thing. So, I think that's kind of where those lyrics came from.
1: Hey, don't go anywhere. We got lots more with Russ Rankin after a few words from our sponsors.
0: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
0: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we
2: lost track of time.
0: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest
1: registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
2: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Boy, were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: And now,
0: back to the show. Well, I got to tell you, this, this record to me, this song, in particular, it was a big step up for you guys. That's why I kind of asked at the top about those, those years where you kind of step back from the band, if that maybe changed your perspective as a writer. Because, you know, a lot of good written songs are, are, are the what we call the forbidden beat. The fat record's super fast punk rock beat. But this one's a little more mid-tempo, which you have a lot of songs like that, too. And, and intro, verse one sounds like pure good riddance when i heard this chorus for the first time and we'll get to some of the stuff uh that the, uh, musically is within the chorus but you got these ahs on the vocals that are in there that, this is different territory for good riddance i love it
2: well that's what happens when i have all this time and i have GarageBand, and i'm like i'll try this then like let's layer that and then like i'm soloing like like 15 tracks of vocals and like really pleased with myself like good oh, this sounds so cool and then obviously with bill like Bill would just be like, "Okay, now sing this, and now sing this, and now sing this." And I don't know what it sounds like, but in his head, he's piecing together this wall of like really cool, uh, really cool sounds. So like all those voices are me.
0: Oh, they are okay. Because I was going to ask if one of those was Bill. Mm -mm. That's all you. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is so awesome. You know, around the time we were touring with you guys and All back in the day, I was coming down the hallway of some dressing room somewhere, and I hear this voice coming from All's room, and I'm like who's singing like top of their lungs, belt and something. I turned a corner. It's bill. I almost fell over. I just, he's just, you know, to me, again, I was, I was young, maybe a little naive. Like he's just the drummer. And I'm like, my God, that voice.
2: (laughs) He's an incredible, he's an incredible singer.
0: Unbe- unbelievable unbelievable you, yeah. you know so i know and i know from talking to people like scott reynolds uh f- f- <laughs> who told me that he never got beat harder than in the vocal booth with, with bill stevenson so
2: I've, re- I've heard all about that yeah. so
0: i i again this this track in particular when i heard this chorus all this singing i'm like wow that's a that's a big step up for russ and and i, I was really proud of you In this chorus, you also get kind of like that Bill Stevenson Motown double snare hit that kind of happens, that poppy thing. The surf beat, yeah. The drumming sounds urgent here, like Sean is, but it's pocketed. Bass, stereo guitars, and an octave guitar running throughout. And there's that awesome ah vocal with a harmony throughout. And, you know, you guys aren't really known for a lot of harmony parts, uh, you know, on records. And how did that come about? I know, you, you know, Band, you're experimenting, but that, that harmony uh, with those ahs is just awesome. And I just didn't think that, I, I figured maybe Bill had done one of those, those voices
2: no I, I did a lot of that stuff on the garage band demos because i mean i could i could just spend hours yeah. trying stuff just throwing stuff at the wall bill in his head knows exactly what you need to sing each for each voice like he's got it all dialed like he'll just sit out there and make you do it until it's there and you'll hear it all back and you'll be like holy fuck it's like a mm. you know, mormon tabernacle choir or something <laughs> but it's it takes a long time and it takes a long time with me because i'm a crummy singer so like but it was yeah it was it was cool and i was willing to do it and bill has told me that so when i re- we needed re- vocals for this record it was the shortest time i ever took to do vocals and he accredited a lot of it to the garage band pre-, pre like i'd already pre-sung these yeah so it wasn't it wasn't a stretch to come to the studio now i wish i could say that it's been all smooth sailing from there but like i've regressed or have, i mean i've had tougher vocal sessions with him in the intervening years but but my republic vocals just seem like, like it was just a snap, like so easy, like we'd roll out there, knock out a vocal and like, fo- what for me was record time. Yeah. And then just throw all these backing vocals. I didn't lose my voice. Like it was, it was, it seemed really easy.
0: Well, I got to tell you, you've always been very humble. I don't know if you give yourself enough credit because I know working under Bill is not easy. The vocal melodies on these are, are great. Those Oz and everything, uh, you know, I can do a lead vocal pretty good. So can Roger. I mean, we can nail something. You, you tell me to sing something I'll I'll sing all the notes. Backing vocals are tough really tough. Like when you're trying to teach yourself a, a backing vocal runner, when Bill's doing it, do you ever break out the keyboard or the guitar and go note by note, or you just keep
2: doing it until you get it? He'll sing it. He'll sing it. And then, and then I'll try to sing it. And lately we've like the last good riddance album, we did uh, thoughts and prayers. Like we were getting into falsetto stuff. Wow. Which was totally, totally new for me. And it's, it's just, you know, it's buried in there. It's like, it's just a, it's a, it's a veneer. It's a veneer. And it, but for me it was super humbling i'm like that sounds so horrible like i can't believe i just so but i just trust him i'm like if like if he if he says that's good enough that's good enough like someone will tune it someone will put it where it's supposed to be <laughs> and and i'm just out there just doing it as much as i can but he's tough but he he's what i love is he knows all of us and he knows what we can and can't do and he knows what we're what we're about and so he never it's never like he's beating on me it's like he's he's trying to get me where he knows I can go mm-hmm. and he's yeah. also he's also as soon as as soon as my voice starts cracking a little bit he's just like ah, uh, nope he, he and I'm like oh dude I can keep singing he's like nope I know that sound <laughs> he's like you got you got to be worth something tomorrow yeah so he'll gotcha. shut me down
0: you're yeah. out of gas. We'll come back yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. I get I get that. Well, at the end of this chorus, uh, Russ, there's this, what I'm calling a two-bar post-chorus turnaround. It's just this musical part before uh, we get into verse two. It's this cool little tension. You, you know something's happening. You don't know if it's going to be more music or if it's going to go into a verse. In this instance, it breaks back down to verse two. every day, thinking that I know best. Wearing my contempt like a bulletproof vest. Love that line. On my way, gonna make it all mine. Rolling in the gutter just to kill some time. But I was dead wrong, and now it's all gone. I won't become the fool that I've abused for so long. The lines played out, I've got to get back chase away the negative and throw away the useless track. And on the line, but I was dead wrong and now it's all gone. That was the line that I heard the double vocal really really jump out at me there. Do you recall that happening in the studio like you would hear it in playback or is that something maybe Jason floated in on the mix later?
2: No, that's something we recorded for sure. We did that and the, and then also um that part in the first verse the same in this, at the in the same spot just for emphasis, yeah.
0: So what's uh what's happening on uh, lyrically here?
2: Yeah, it's it's the same theme. It's, you know, rolling in the gutter just to kill some time. Like I guess it's a song about reflection. It's a song about like misspent youth uh almost pathologically and dangerously so and like not wanting to do that anymore.
0: Well, you know, we, we spent quite a bit of time together back in the day. Uh, you were never like hanging out, cracking beers or anything. But I, you know, the first time I heard out of your mouth uh, recovery was, was today. So I didn't know that, uh, that you had struggled uh, with uh, with substances before. And, and now this line is really sticking out to me. What are you saying here on I won't become the fool that I've abused for so long?
2: just not not to go too deep into it but like I being a being a punker in the early 80s was different than being a punker like in the 90s or the 2000s like my recollection of was it was a really nihilistic kind of self-destructive dark thing to be and I and I gravitated toward it and I and I reveled in it but the people that I looked up to were were junkies and, and criminals and people that were suicides and so I was setting myself up to be that guy uh before and so I guess just this, that line is more about like not wanting to end, not wanting to finish that story that way, the way it began.
0: Very cool. Well, after verse two, uh, we get that two bar verse, turn around again, two bars, you get that lyric, cause I remember the pick slides there again, panned off right. And we get into chorus two. I remember. I got to ask, you know, a lot of times we, we want that chorus over and over again to be the same thing. You want it to resonate with the listener, have them something to to, to latch on to and remember. Was there ever any discussion, do you recall, about the lyrics? Hey, maybe let's change up this one line on on chorus two or chorus three. Uh, and this is a two-part question. And do any of the other guys in the band, you know, ever have any input on the lyrics in this stage?
2: Yeah, I don't recall any, any real input on the lyrics. Ever, like they kind of just let me do it. Like I, yeah. I feel like there's a, I feel like there's a degree of trust there. I, I also don't doubt that if they did have any issue with it, they would for sure let me know.
0: Well, it sounds like Bill will come to the table and say, "Hey, I don't want, I don't want the f word here. No, this, no, this, Bill, this is juvenile."
2: <laughs> when it, when I'm doing vocals, it's like me and Bill and these words, and that's it. He will suggest things. Like for example, on the th- on the third chorus, which is Good Riddance never has a third chorus, but but for this, this <laughs> song we did, and so there is the counter the counter vocal that Chuck sings oh, over yeah. the back, over the back half of it uh-huh. to just give it a little bit of a different flavor like a lot of times on a, on a if there's a third chorus I'll do that or I'll do like another a new guitar voice doing some some other kind of counter melody to the vocals so it's not the same as the first two choruses
0: Well, we're going to get to that part, which is awesome. That backing vocal is just so cool there. And I got to tell you, I told my producer, Chris, before we jumped on today, I listened to this song, as I do, 30, 40 times. And it wasn't until probably the second to last time I get to the third chorus. I'm like, why does this sound different to me? I rewind to chorus one. I go to chorus two. I'm like, those sound the same. What is different here? And finally, the light bulb went off. I'm like, oh, and I believe and correct me if I'm wrong, and and we'll get there soon, I believe it's the same lyrics as what he's saying in the bridge on the call and response there, right? I think so. It's really hard to discern because your lead vocal is riding at the top. You got those ahs below it. And then I figured that was you. That's Chuck doing the other the other vocal down there. I just I, I think that part's awesome. That
2: might have been me in the studio, but that's Chuck live.
0: Yeah, I, it it sounds like you, but I I, I didn't know because it's funny. A lot of times, as you know, you someone live what they're doing, and you get them under the microscope of the studio, they sound like two different singers. You just never know with that.
2: Well, Chuck Chuck's good for like screaming and yelling, and and for those for those voices, he's got to do it in the studio. But if he, if Chuck's just rendering like a counter melody or a harmony i can usually knock those out because he and i will sound not that much different doing that doing those but there are there are certain voicings in our songs that are that have to be him
0: right right but
2: this this isn't one of them
0: well after chorus two we get another two bar setup for the bridge but it's slightly altered drum hits here at the end so at the end of the song it's like da na 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 But on this one, it only does, it's like two and a half. It's really strange, but awesome. As we go into the bridge, it's a musical bridge for eight bars, drums, bass, stereo guitars, an octave solo is happening, kind of pan center. The drums go to the floor tom here, and guitars go to palm mutes. I hear a guitar overdub Russ. It's like harmonics happening. It's almost like some Eddie Van Halen type stuff.
2: Oh, really I know buried. what it is. Yeah, it's it's a uh, Bill calls those white weddings. Yeah, it is. It is so
0: cool in headphones. It's awesome.
2: Yeah, it's white weddings.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. So that, that's what <laughs> that is. what that is. And then uh, this progression that we were just talking about, this continues with vocals for another eight bars. I've seen, I I see I I've seen things I hope I never see again. There's another place to fall. So every other line here, that line there, there's another place to fall. That's that backup vocal. I don't want to have to bury any more friends. There's another friend to call. Living on the edge of a sign of our times. There's a world beyond yourself. Dying in the wreckage we create with our crimes. There are those who tried to help. And it sounds like all of those uh, backing vocals there, Russ, all of those are doubled.
2: I think so. I I would think so.
0: And then... There's a unison gang vocal on the very last one. There are those who tried to help. It's not a scream, but you can hear a bun- bunch of voices come in there, and it, it just kind of lifts before the last chorus, and we don't get a Cuz I Remember here. There's no pickup here. love what's happening here. Had no idea until, like I said, the second maybe (laughs) second to last time I listened to it. Lyrics are the same but halfway through, in addition to those Oz, you get the backing bridge vocal again underneath the lead vocal and the ahs. Super cool. And then the song ends with the two-bar post-chorus turnaround and the band ends on the da-na-na-na and it comes comes to an abrupt end. This song is different for you guys as far as I'm concerned at least up up to this point it was a little more poppy those ahs in the chorus what was your reaction when you heard the mix back from this were you stoked
2: yeah for sure whenever we get those mixes from Jason I, it, I'm always like just from like vocal sense I'm like because because when I do vocals most of the time I just think that I just think I sang horribly like Bill knows me well enough and he knows What what they can do as far as tuning and editing, so he just builds, he builds like little playlists for me. Like, so singing again, singing again, singing again. Okay, I got enough. Let's move on. And I'm ahead. I'm and I'm ahead of like, are you sure, dude? Because those all sucked. And but but he knows. And so I've I've just I just kind of like okay, yeah. He knows better than me. He knows he knows what those will sound like at the end of it all. And all I know is what I just sang, which I think is awful. Always. So getting the mixers back from Jason vocal wise, for me, it's always like, wow, like that sounds, it sounds like somebody like kidnapped Russ and replaced him with a decent singer. And, uh...
0: <laughs> well, I'll say it again. I think, I, I think you're being really hard on yourself, but man, hats off to you, buddy. You, you've just improved. You're just a different, different singer than you were 20 years ago when I met you, just completely different singer. And, and, Thank and, and, you. It's, and, and it's awesome. And you know, congratulations for still being out there doing it. And before we wrap uh, wrap up here, anything you'd like to leave the listeners with, what you got going on yourself, the band, what's happening?
2: Well, my second solo album came out like a year ago, so there's that. So I play shows once in a while as a as a solo act. So I've got two original albums out. And then we have a few shows this year my band, really not much going on till June, and then probably back over to Europe in August for some festivals. And where I'm started writing new, new good written stuff. So hopefully there'll be a new, a 10th album sometime in the not too distant future.
0: Are you still in Band, or have you upgraded to Logic? Logic. Nice. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Logic. You get, I get lost in the, in the guitar possibilities with all the, I mean, Hey, I can get a different mic oh, I can move the mic over here on this, on this imaginary cabinet. Like it's. Yeah. It's, I got to, I got to watch myself when I first
0: got, when I first got logic, you know, I, I'd say goodnight to the kids. It'd be about eight o'clock. And next <laughs> thing I, next thing I know, dude, it be like three in the morning. I'd be, I'd, and I'd still be wanting to tinker. It was like, I gotta go to bed right now. You know? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> That's going on. And then I do have a, my first ever poetry book coming out on St. Patrick's day on Thera books. So look out for that. Pretty, pretty cool.
0: Awesome, man. Congratulations. And thanks so much for sitting with us today. I,
2: I appreciate it. You're welcome, Chris. Really good. Talk to you, man.
0: And
1: the things you You'll beat the curve you don't break your heart this time. And it all Just what have we done? Hey, I hope you all enjoyed that episode with Russ Rankin. A lot of our listeners have been asking for a Russ episode for a long time, and we like to give the listeners what they want. But don't go anywhere. We got lots more Chris to make a podcast coming right up after a few words from our sponsors.
0: the end of the show Here's a band you might not know Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to a podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Cascade Riot, a three-piece punk rock band from Detroit, Michigan, consisting of Ryan Fila on vocals and guitar, Adam Brady on bass, and Alex Brady on the drums. Their newest single dropped January 13th of this year. Here's a snippet of that song Or Day Combat. The rap with Chris and Chris.
1: Well, Chris, that's another great episode in the bag. And I heard Russ tell a story in that episode that reminded me a lot of your story and your experience with Howard Benson. When you felt like you didn't really know how to sing and you came out of that experience becoming a singer, that kind of sounds like the same experience that Russ had with Bill Stevenson.
0: Yeah, and I imagine with Russ it had to be even weirder because Bill was one of his heroes. You know, I loved Howard, but he was a record producer. He wasn't a guy I grew up listening to, but I also and I said it a couple times, uh, he, he's not good with taking with taking the compliment, but uh, gosh, he has just improved so much. He should be proud
1: of himself, and I think he sells himself a little bit short, Chris. I mean, yeah, I thought he sounded great back on uh, you know, I love that song Steps from Good uh-huh. Riddance back in the day. I'm like, this, this is Awesome. He has a very distinctive punk rock voice, and yeah, does he sound like uh, Celine Dion? No, but that's not what you go to Good Riddance for. You go to Good Riddance for punk rock, and I uh, I couldn't relate more to when he was talking about when he finally got Garage Band for the first time. Chris, do you remember when he got Garage Band for the first time? Like how fun that was? Absolutely, it was a complete game changer because even you know I had Pro Tools
0: way before, but you know with Pro Tools you still had to build drum tracks, you still had to. Build Build everything in there and with the advent of GarageBand, there was already presets and loops and all these different little uh things at your fingertips that, that you could uh experiment with and it, i'll tell you I'll, I'll give a lot of credit here to bill stevenson uh with, with, with russ but it's really the garage band i mean he sat down and started studying his vocals started studying where the guitar ends and where this part comes in and even bill said it. that garage band's elevated your
1: songwriting buddy That's the thing, man. Even with singing, too. I remember when I got it and, you know, okay, you had other... I guess I had other recording programs before GarageBand. I can't remember what they were, but GarageBand was more the real deal where I could sing something. I could try different harmonies. Even if I didn't know what I was doing, I could... Experiment with my voice, find the ranges where it sounds the best, find the places where it doesn't sound so great. I just think being able to go in there and so easily play around with stuff, yeah, that can just as much as a great producer can elevate your game, just putting the time in, putting the hours into working on your own voice and finding your voice is just as important yeah and and this was just as i told russ a big
0: step up this particular track i remember hearing this when it came out around 06 i was like this is different you know it's mid-tempo good riddance but when it gets to that chorus and those oz you never heard a good riddance production like that prior hey i thought it was really funny to hear about bill's opposition to profanity <laughs> uh yeah coming from bill uh and the descendants early material in particular that seems a little bit uh left of center
1: wow, dude i <laughs> I love it, though, because <laughs> I actually think that's a great point. There are so many words in the English language. I feel like Less Than Jake doesn't cuss very much in songs. It's very rare, isn't well, it? I and, think.
0: Uh, we, uh, years ago we did. You know, Jen doesn't right. like me anymore oh, in, right. in some of those songs. But I think a lot of that was just the rebellion of youth and, and you know, right. getting out on the stage somewhere and saying the F word. But um, sure. I don't know. I found that as I get older that you can have more impact and punch if you don't use those words in some instances.
1: That's the way I feel, strangely enough, that's the way I feel about comedy. I feel like if somebody could be super funny and not have to resort to the same old stuff, not that I'm offended by yeah. it. Yeah. I'm just just bored of it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't like make me laugh. But when someone can be funny without it, like Mitch Hedberg is who I always think of. Like, yeah, he'd cuss a little bit here and there, but for the most part, it was like basically like I don't know, dad jokes, you know, or something where it's like, this is so silly that it's ridiculous. And, uh, yeah. So I thought that was pretty funny to hear about Bill's opposition to cussing. Uh, but also I loved hearing about his process with Russ and how Russ had to have trust in him where Russ felt like, yo, that wasn't very good. Those takes weren't good. What do you mean? But Bill's like, nope, I got it. I got what I need. And sometimes you have to have trust in the, be it the engineer or the producer who knows that, that outside perspective, you know, you really do need that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I'm cutting demos or a record with Roger, you know, he, as, as the listeners know, he always edits my vocals. I can't edit my own stuff. I go crazy. I pick out every little thing that's wrong with my voice. I hear it all. But when he says, and we just did a, a, recording session uh, a couple weeks ago when he says i got it i just move on to the next part i don't even think about it anymore cuz i know he won't let me get away with something that he doesn't deem perfect
1: right and speaking of perfect chris you know what else is perfect what's perfect <laughs> the chris to makes a podcast supporting cast yes you can go to christtomes.com and sign up for our supporting cast where you'll get a weekly bonus episode and on top of that you'll be supporting the podcast that you love this podcast that you're listening to right now where we bring you all these great artists talking about all these great songs for the cost of, you know an iced tea per month. You can you can uh join the supporting cast at makes.com I think it's an amazing decision and, you know, Is that an you, I- you won't be let down, we promise. Is that an iced tea in
0: Pittsburgh or an iced tea in Laguna Beach, California?
1: Uh that would be an iced tea. <laughs> That'd be a f- one fancy iced tea. One, okay, okay. One or two $5 iced teas per month. You can uh you know, support the podcast that you love and help us continue making this podcast.
0: And I got to tell you something. I saw a comment, Chris, from somebody in our Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group, which if you haven't joined, please do. Someone mentioned the other day
1: that he loves the after parties as much as he loves the regular feed. Chris, actually, I want to shout out that comment because I know exactly which one you're talking about. And I found it. It's from Tyler Gilmore, who is actually a a top contributor in the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. He said, I've noticed now, every time I listen to The After Party, I have a huge smile on my face. There has never been another podcast that puts me in a great mood like this one. Thank you, guys. It really means the world. And that comment really means the world to us. The After Party is the bonus episode that you get if you join our supporting cast. And... Hey, we didn't pay him to say that. <laughs> that's, that's a real endorsement right there. So, yeah,
0: thanks, Tyler, for the wonderful comment. And again, KristaMakes.com. Join our supporting cast and join the, join the Facebook group, too. Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. It's a ton of fun. And while you're at it, give me a follow on Instagram at less than Chris D. Want to thank this week's guest, Russ Rankin, and we'll see you next week.
1: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BDW. Revoid. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But The Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan.
2: If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please
1: subscribe to Nemo the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, And we hope to see you throw the line up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you.